Before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to let you know that my latest book, Dwell on These Things, is now available in stores and online. The book is a 31-day challenge to talk to yourself like God talks to you. And if you're up for that kind of challenge, I think you'll find the book helpful. I think now is a great time for us to replace feelings of discouragement with a sense of God's goodness, to practice seeing ourselves in the loving way God sees us, to exchange negative self-talk for gospel-saturated truth, and to learn to face each day with hope in our hearts. There's a link to the book in this episode's description, and if you want to take a sneak peek at the first three chapters, just head over to DesireJesus.com and take a look. You're listening to the Dwell on These Things podcast, a regular dose of Christ-centered encouragement to put your mind in a better place. Listen in as Pastor John Stonge shares Bible studies, interviews, training, and some of his most recent sermons. We're glad to have you with us today. This morning, we're continuing our study of this idea of calling, and we've been looking at the different things that Scripture tells us about these things like the the dreams and the desires and the calling that God's placed on our lives. One of the things that I've noticed over the course of my life, and maybe you've noticed this as well, and this is part of the reason why I used even the phrase desire or the word desire in the subtitle of of, uh, what we're referring to this series, Um, I have noticed over the course of my life that there's a variety of ways that the Lord makes certain things clear to me. And you know how Scripture talks about this idea of God giving us the desires of our hearts? And so I remember thinking about that at one point, and I thought, boy, that's awful gracious of God that He would give us the desires of our hearts. But then you also start asking yourself questions, well, what if the desire of my heart isn't really something healthy? Or what if the desire of my heart really isn't something in line with his purposes for me? You know, how does the Lord operate in a a, a circumstance like that? And one of the things that I have noticed over the course of my life is not only does the Lord give us the desires of our hearts, but he shapes those desires first. If our lives are submitted over to his lordship, what he ends up doing is he he shapes the, the things that we desire to be in line with his will. And so that's part of the reason why I even selected that as part of um, kind of like the, the summary of what we've been talking about here, because I, I truly believe that the Lord ends up shaping those desires to bring them in conformity with his will. And so today we're going to be talking about a, a specific aspect of calling that I hope that you enjoy. And I, I certainly hope that the example that we look at from Acts chapter 4 inspires you, because it certainly inspires me. And today we're talking about this idea of defeating your fear of the word no. Now, we're going to be looking mainly in Acts chapter 4 today. We're going to be looking at verses 13 to 22, and then I'm going to jump us down to verses 29 and 30 to kind of summarize some of the things that we're looking at here. And I'll read that all for us in just a moment. But I'll tell you what, I think many people go through life fearful of being told no. And I know that there are times in my life that I have expressed a certain hesitancy to being told no in certain contexts, even when the thing that I was attempting to do very much should have been a yes. So how do we wrestle with that? How do we balance that? How does that come into submission to the Lord's will? Well, we're going to see how that plays out in Acts chapter 4. So turn with me to Acts 4, starting with verse 13. This is what it says in this passage. It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, 
and perceived that they were uneducated, common men. They were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. And then if you jump to verse 29, it says this, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege that it is to be able to look at this portion of Scripture from your word together today. We're so grateful for the opportunity to be able to gather together to worship you and to gain a deeper level of understanding of what you're doing and how you're operating in our lives and how you've historically operated in the lives of those who have submitted their hearts over to you. So Lord, we pray that as we look at these portions from your word, as we primarily spend our time in Acts chapter 4 today, meditating on the things that you've revealed here, we pray that we would understand that there is an appropriate time for us to to defeat our fear of the word no, because there are those who from time to time stand in opposition to your leading, and they stand in opposition to your lordship. And so, Lord, when we encounter circumstances like that, we pray that we would bring this scripture to mind and that we would seek your leading and rely on your power. And again, Lord, we thank you for the privilege to be able to spend some time looking at this example today. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we just read from Acts chapter 4, but for the portion of Scripture that we just read together to make the most sense, uh, I think we need to give a little bit of background. And I want to give you a little bit of background on some things that happened in the previous chapter, in Acts chapter 3. So when you look at Acts chapter 3, what you end up finding in that portion of Scripture is that there's a man in his 40s who is incapable of walking. And each day he was carried to a gate in the temple of Jerusalem, And he would basically just beg people who passed by him for money. As people would come by, he would ask them for money. Or as it says in the scripture, he would ask them for alms. And they would give him money. They would give him alms. And he would do that day in and day out. And many people considered supporting this guy um, and others like him to be an act of charity that that was a good reflection of their faith. And so this man, in that context, I imagine that the temple was probably a pretty good area to be uh, attempting to raise some support or or, or receive alms from people. And um, he grew used to receiving financial support. This was how his life operated each and every day. And I think that this man probably assumed that he would spend the rest of his life receiving financial support from other people. 
I think that he probably viewed that as his main and only option as far as uh, just the financial needs that he had being met. And so when he sees Peter and John as they're entering into the temple area, he does what he does to all people who pass by. He asks them for money. But instead of receiving money from them, the scripture tells us in Acts chapter 3 that he received a miracle from them. Uh, And by the power of God, scripture tells us that Peter healed the man specifically in the name of Jesus, and the man was not only able to stand, but I love what what the scripture tells us. He was able to stand, he was able to walk, and he was able to leap as well. So that's kind of a fun addition there to to have that be put in the scripture, because it gives you a good mental picture of what this guy's doing. And you can imagine, if you've spent decades unable to walk, I have to tell you, even even if it was just a week, and all of a sudden I was able to, to walk after not being able to walk, I think leaping would be very appropriate. Do you ever go through a season where you, you get like a sinus infection or a cold and you can't breathe? And you say to yourself, I can't believe all the days I've lived my life that I've taken breathing for granted. It was just so great back when I was able to breathe. And then, and then you're able to breathe again and it's like you're breathing for the first time. And I look at this man and it, you know, the scripture tells us in Acts 3 that he's able to walk, he's able to stand... And he's able to leap, and that's exactly what he's doing. And it's a beautiful thing to see, and it was obvious to many people as they observed this taking place that a miracle had just taken place. This man's previous condition was known to these people. This is a very public area. This is a spot that this group of people was used to seeing this man uh, begging for money, asking for money, day in, day out. They were used to seeing him for a long period of time. But the fact that he was healed was very obvious to all of them as they see this. And so Peter used this opportunity, and this was a wide open door for this. He used this opportunity to preach the message of the gospel to those who were in his hearing in this context. And the scripture reveals to us that before everything was done, that the Lord increased the size of the early church to 5,000 people. So several thousand additional people came to faith in Jesus Christ after this event. It was amazing, and it was certainly something that testified to the Spirit of God accomplishing a great work in that generation. And we're also told that some of the religious leaders of the day were greatly annoyed that Peter and John continued to proclaim the name of Jesus, and that they also taught people that Jesus rose from death, and that if you trusted in Jesus, you too would experience that kind of resurrection. And I don't know if you know the background on what was going on there, but why would that bother these religious leaders so thoroughly. Why were they irritated with this? Well, the scripture tells us that some of them were Sadducees. And one, I don't know if you remember the, the, the children's song, um, you know, uh, where, where uh, we're, we're taught about the Sadducees, but, you know, in the children's song, they're sad, you see. Why are they so sad? Well, they're sad because they have bad doctrine. And if you have bad doctrine, that impacts your day-to-day life. And one of the things that the Sadducees very much opposed was the thought that resurrection was possible. So it was like they went around with this religious framework, but then didn't have any hope beyond the life that they were currently living. That doesn't seem like a very pleasant way to live your day-to-day life. They did not believe resurrection was something that should be taught or proclaimed. So they certainly did not believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And they also didn't believe that Peter and John should be going around telling people that if you trust in Jesus, you too will experience a resurrection like his. So they were irritated. They were annoyed. They wanted this preaching to stop. They wanted them to stop proclaiming the resurrection. They wanted them to stop proclaiming the name of Jesus. So they actually had Peter and John arrested. And they put them into custody until the next day when they could interrogate them further. 
That was their plan. And initially, I don't know that they had much of a plan. Just the initial plan was stop them from preaching, put them in custody, and we'll figure it out tomorrow. So as we look at what takes place next, the scripture that we read just a few moments ago, we're going to be shown how these, these apostles responded when they were told to stop proclaiming the name of Jesus. And their actions make it very clear to me that they had defeated their fear of the word no, particularly when they understood that they were being obedient to the will of God. And so I just want to ask us, how about you? How about me? How about us? Are we still afraid to be told no once we're certain that we're pursuing the purpose and the plan of God for our life? I think that's a question worth wrestling with, and I think that we could see some good examples here of of how to address that when we're wrestling with these things. And one of the principles that I think that this portion of Scripture illustrates that I really appreciate is the fact that spending time with Jesus, it produces a holy boldness in your life. Let me reread the first uh, few verses of the Scripture we read from before. Acts chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. There they say this, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. Now let's pause there for just a second. Have you ever acknowledged to yourself just how much influence the people that you spend time with have on you? Or just how much your life can be impacted by by those you choose to spend the most time with. Do you ever acknowledge that? I think we're all highly, highly influenced by the people we choose to spend time with. Some people you're stuck with, right? So there's some people you're stuck spending time with. They can have an influence on you as well. But those that you purposely surround yourself with, why are several families looking at each other? You can't see each other's faces. Some of you looked to your neighbor and said, yeah, you're one of the people I'm stuck with, right? Well, the people you're stuck with have an influence on you. But those you choose to surround yourself with have an influence on you as well. And a few years ago, I came across a very awkward video of myself, and I was very interested in watching it, but somebody had given it to me, and it was a video of me that was taken during the summer when I turned 15. So I don't know, those of you that are teenagers, you're like, why Why would that be so awkward? Why would that be so weird? Well, those of you that are any decade beyond that know that that might have some awkward moments. And so it was a video that was taken at summer camp when I was 15, first summer that I worked at summer camp. And when you worked at summer camp, one of the things that you were frequently asked to do was to act in skits. So for the evening service, there would be, you know, a skit and you would act it out. And then one of the pastors teaching that week would then come and speak after the skit and kind of reinforce the message of the skit. Well, this was one of the first skits I had ever been in. So I don't know if you have a lot of experience acting, but at that point, I certainly did not. And that part wasn't what made me so embarrassed to watch it. What made me embarrassed to watch this video of myself from when I was 15 is because I could tell you just by listening to the way I phrased things, the way I, I said things, certain words that came out of my mouth, and even the inflection that I used, I could tell you exactly who I hung around with at that season of life. I sounded very different from how I tend to speak now, and I had no idea that it, there was such a drastic difference until I saw that video. And I thought, wow, at age 15, the way I spoke clearly demonstrated who had an influence on my life. And it was the people that I was surrounding myself with. And it was awkward. And it was also awkward for my wife because she, I think, was glad that she met me after that period of time. I don't know that she would have been my wife if she met me during that period of time. But regardless, 
you could tell who you've been with by how you speak, by how you act, by, by what comes out of your life. And so now I'll say this as a personal testimony. As a follower of Jesus Christ, I want it to be obvious to anyone who might examine my life closely that I spend a lot of time with him, being influenced by him. I want people to hear that in the way that I, that I talk. I want them to see that in the way that I treat others or the decisions that I make or even the steps of faith that I'm willing to take. I want it to become obvious that I'm spending a lot of time with Jesus. And when you look at what the scripture tells us about the things taking place in the life of Peter and John, it tells us that it was obvious to the religious leaders in the first century, in first century Jerusalem in particular, that Peter and John had spent a lot of time with Jesus. It was very clear to them. I think that that's a huge compliment, that they would be able to say that it is, that it is obvious that these men have been with Jesus. Peter and John had not received the kind of formal education or the kind of formal training that these leaders had been through, but because they had been directly mentored by Jesus and because they were now indwelled by the Holy Spirit, they could understand and they could speak confidently about deeper level spiritual issues that weren't even clear to these traditionally trained leaders. I think that that's fascinating. And again, it's because they had been with Jesus. And here's the other thing you notice about how they spoke. Keep in mind, as they're speaking to this group of leaders, they're speaking to people who are purposely trying to intimidate them. I don't know if you've ever been in a job interview or if you've ever been in a context where someone is purposely trying to intimidate you, but this is one of those contexts where they are purposely trying to intimidate these men. And spending time with Jesus will make you bold even in front of people who are purposely trying to intimidate you. Spending time with Jesus will give you a major boost of confidence. And I don't just mean a confidence in yourself necessarily. I mean confidence in what he can do and will do through your life and ways that he will actually speak through your mouth. And so here you have Peter and John being threatened by powerful men, but they were not intimidated by those threats. Those threats did not freak them out. Those threats did not intimidate them. They were actually willing to speak boldly about Jesus Christ, even though they knew these leaders had the capacity to hurt them or imprison them. They had just spent an evening in prison because these leaders had ordered that they be imprisoned for the evening. So they knew that these leaders had that kind of authority and that kind of sway in the culture at the time, but they were not bothered by this. They were not intimidated by this. They continued to speak boldly, even in this context. So again, What kind of impact does spending time with Jesus have on your life at present? Are you bolder than you once were? Can you see that kind of holy boldness being inspired by the presence of Christ in your life? Are you willing to to maybe even stand up to the threats that you receive from people who don't share the vision or the clarity or the conviction that the Lord has blessed you with? There very well may be a time, if you pursue aggressively God's will for your life, where you have one of those moments. I would actually say somewhere along the way, it's very likely. And here you have Peter and John expressing what it's like to trust Christ even in the midst of that kind of pressure. They spent time with Jesus, and that produced a holy boldness in their life. There's another principle that we're shown here in this portion of Scripture that I think is very helpful to recognize, and that's this. Some people try to prevent or contain what they do not understand. That's exactly what's taking place in this passage here in Acts chapter 4. You have a group of people trying to prevent and contain the things that they don't understand. Look at what it says in verses 15 through 18. It says, But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? 
For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Now, I don't know if you've seen much about this. I actually saw something about this quite recently, but in various places in South America, there are still groups of people that have not had much or any contact with the outside world. Have you seen any reports on that or any news stories about some of that? Some of you have? Yeah. There's been some discussion about that lately, and so I've seen a few things related to it. And I think it's interesting because there's a whole world of innovation. There's a whole world of technology that this group of people, or these groups, I should say, that they haven't experienced. They don't even know it exists. And there are all kinds of debates raging right now on whether or not people should make an attempt to reach these people and connect with these people, or if these people should be allowed to live as they're living undisturbed. And so people debate that. And the other day I happened to see a video that uh, somebody had posted related to their reactions when people decided to fly a drone with a camera over one of those tribes. And the people were very disturbed by it because they're seeing this drone. I'd be, wouldn't you be disturbed if you fly a drone over my yard? I'd probably want to knock it out of the sky, right? Even if I did know what it was. And I keep waiting for Amazon to start delivering our packages by drone because they say that that's going to happen soon. Maybe it'll actually end up on my porch. I don't know why. This is a sidetrack. There is no scriptural basis for what I'm about to say. But I got two packages delivered yesterday, and one was delivered to my driveway, and one was delivered to the steps outside my house. And all I could think of is, what if it was raining? Why would you just throw it on the driveway? There is a porch. Put it on the porch. I will digress. But, you know, you see those drones, right? Apparently, they're going to deliver our packages. Well, there was one of these drones that they were flying with a camera over one of these remote tribes. And you see the people all freaked out by it, wondering what this thing was. And many of the men in the tribe took their bows and their arrows, and they were ready. They were just trying to get kind of a, a line of, of sight on it that wouldn't interrupt it and, uh, and uh, you know, interrupt the flow of their arrow. And they, they just wanted to be able to get to it and, and maybe shoot it down if they had the opportunity to do that. But they looked genuinely freaked out. And it's a little bit interesting from our perspective because we understand the concept of a drone with a camera. And we're thinking, okay, possibly creepy, but not a huge deal. But to them, they're thinking, what is this strange thing? What is it? They haven't seen this technology. And their behavior demonstrated something that I think is true of most people, whether you live in a remote tribe in South Africa, or South America, actually it was, and, um, or whether you, whether you just live a day-to-day life that is connected with society. I think when we don't understand something, we usually try to stop it, contain it, or kill it. It's usually one of those three. We usually try to stop it, contain it, or kill it if we don't understand it. And this was the dilemma that was faced by the religious leaders who were trying to figure out, what do we do with Peter and John? What do we do with these guys? Right? It was clear that the, men, that the man at the temple had been healed miraculously. There was no doubt about it. Even they did not deny it. They did not try to deny that fact, which is the strangest part of this account to me. Because you have the religious leaders, including those who try to deny the fact that there is such a thing as a resurrection openly admitting, yes, this man has been miraculously healed, but we still want to prevent people from understanding that this kind of miraculous heal could be accomplished, healing could be accomplished in the name of Jesus. They don't even try and deny that fact. They just want to contain it. They want to stop it. 
But they didn't understand the full ramifications of this, and they weren't willing to accept what was taking place in their midst. And so initially, you know, this is the same group of people that had thought that they had stopped the ministry of Jesus during the the course of his earthly ministry when they championed his crucifixion. And they thought that crucifying him was going to end his ministry and end his influence. But now it was starting to become very clear that the name of Jesus was going to continue to be proclaimed by his followers. And not only that, but his power was going to continue to be demonstrated to have a miraculous effect in this world. And they're wondering, how do we stop this? How do we contain this? And it's interesting because these leaders, in that moment, they could have repented of their unbelief, and in the midst of this overwhelming evidence, they could have said, you know what, I'm convinced. But that's not what they did. They actually doubled down on their disbelief, and they attempted to contain the apostles. So Peter and John, when you look at what's said here in this passage, and this gets me fired up when I look at what happened here, but it tells us that Peter and John were told in the strictest way possible that they were no longer to speak in the name of Jesus or teach people about him. What kind of impact would that have on you if someone told you, don't speak the name of Jesus, don't teach people about him? I don't know if these leaders thought that they could effectively box Peter and John in, but I'm guessing they expected these men to be intimidated by them, and I'm guessing they expected them to obey their directives, because that's how most people responded to the things that they said. So would you have listened to these leaders if they tried to box you in? You probably wouldn't have, because you've spent time with Jesus, just like Peter and John did. But are there people in your life, maybe even right now, maybe in your past, or maybe some people you haven't met yet, but are there people in your life who might be trying to prevent the work that God wants to do through you because they don't understand it, or they don't recognize it, they don't support it in some way, or maybe it makes them uncomfortable, and they try and box it in, or prevent it, or contain it. If that moment happens to you, and I think the, the deeper you go into submitting yourself to the Lord's will for your life, the more likely it is for you to experience something like that. So when it happens, I'm not even going to say if it happens, because I think when it happens is more likely for most of us. How will you respond? Will you let other people hold you back from doing what God is clearly telling you to do? I hope you will not allow someone to hold you back from accomplishing the will of God for your life. But I do think that that's something we have to wrestle with. And I do think that that's something Peter and John wrestled with. And they said, you know what, we're going to listen to God. We're going to listen to the voice of God rather than the voice of men. And, and, and one of the principles that they show us, you know, the way that we could do this is this. Don't accept counsel that conflicts with the revealed will of God. If someone gives you counsel that conflicts with the revealed will of God. Don't take that counsel. The way it's phrased here in Acts chapter 4 is found in verse 19 down to verse 22, and it, it shows us how Peter and John responded. It says, But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. So do you like how they kind of threw the gauntlet down, and they're like, Hey, you guys are the smart people, right? You're the guys that are classically trained. You're the guys with all the credentials and the authority. So whether or not it's right to listen to God or to you, you're going to have to make that judgment call. But they say in verse 20 here, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, so threats come after that statement there. It says, so when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them. So you have these leaders threatening them after Peter and John respond that way. But they had to let them go because they found no way to punish them because of the people. Because everybody, it says here, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years 
old. More than 40 years. Do you, what do you think? So, you know, Luke is the one that wrote these things down. Was he trying to imply that the guy was old because he was more than 40 years old? I turn 45 next month. What, how should I think about Luke when I read a portion of Scripture like this? He's more than 40 years old. It's like, what are you saying, Luke? What are you trying to say, right? Now, can I confess something to you that probably would not be much of a surprise to anybody, but I'm going to confess it anyway. People have pretty strong opinions about what I do or what I don't do. Am I, am I exaggerating that when I say that? I think people have pretty strong opinions about what I do or what I don't do. I was in a meeting the other day where I admitted something, and I kind of blew up the meeting by admitting this. It was at the very end of the meeting, and, uh, and I, I didn't realize it was going to receive the kind of reaction that it did. I actually posted about this on Facebook. But I admitted that I have very simple tastes in food. So who here likes really creative foods and loves trying new things? Most people. You would be called normal, Right? And I admitted that at this season of my life, I've kind of discovered that there's a few things that I like, and I'm good with that. I'm not really interested in trying anything new. I don't really like a whole lot of creative things. And people say, that doesn't really jive with what I assume your personality is like. Well, your assumption of my personality is probably correct, but your assumption of my taste buds is incorrect. I like a couple things. and I have a very simple palate. It, it, I, I don't like a whole lot of things. And I admitted that. And uh, then in the midst of that, I also admitted that at this point in my life, I don't have a whole lot of desire to do a whole bunch of traveling. I, I kind of like just being around town and home. I mean, there's a few places I like going, but I, I was joking with them. I, I said, I've already discovered lakes and woods. I'm good. Like, I've seen what I like. And, and so my, my lack of food curiosity and my lack of desiring to travel kind of blew up the meeting and irritated a few people in a playful way. It was all in good fun. But they seem to disagree with my lack of interest in many foods, and they seem to lack agreement with my lack of interest in most destinations. And that was a small issue that was kind of comical in nature. But I have to tell you something else that I've been learning in recent years that's not really comical. It's just something that, that the Lord's been revealing about what he's doing in me. Can you tell when the Lord's doing something in you over time? You, could, you know, as you watch the progression of your life, you could see... That, that the Lord's refining certain things. Um, one, of the Lord, one of the things that the Lord's been teaching me uh, uh, about myself recently uh, that I'm starting to embrace more and more is the fact that he's showing me that I can go to bed at night in peace if I'm confident that I'm in the center of his will and I'm confident that I'm making decisions that are obedient to him, even if those decisions aren't necessarily popular decisions. That I could sleep well at night as long as I can look back over the course of a day and say, all right, Lord, did I listen to you? If I listen to you, I will sleep fine. If I'm listening to myself or listening to this world or listening to unwise counsel or, or, or counsel that really doesn't line up with the teaching of your word, it's going to impact my sleep. But if I'm listening to you, I can sleep just fine, even if I get a little pushback from this or from that. And I, I want to say to you, and I know you know this is true already, especially if you're already in a position of leadership, but if you ever choose to answer the calling to some form of leadership, so whether that's church leadership in some form or if you're trying to lead a group of people in a variety of ways, and there's a variety of ways that this oftentimes happens, 
you're going to be forced to make decisions at times. It's one of the hardest things about leadership because you know that you're going to make decisions that some people are going to love and they are going to applaud, and then others may politely disagree with certain decisions that you make, but then there are others that might not be polite about their disagreement at all and may attack you or threaten you or attempt to demean your character. And throughout the course of the past 24 years that I've been serving in, in the role that I serve in, I've had seasons where I've noticed that the, the latter is the case, where you receive a lot of those arrows. And this is what I've, this is what I'm, I've been learning and the Lord's been teaching me over time, and I just want to share this as a personal testimony with the hope that it will be helpful to you if you find yourself ever in a similar spot. If you are able to take an honest assessment of your actions... And get feedback from people you trust, people that that are walking with the Lord. But if you're able to take an honest assessment of your actions and say without reservation that you absolutely are listening to the direction of God and you are making decisions that are in accordance with his revealed will in his word, I honestly think you'll sleep just fine. Even in in some of those tough moments, I I think in the end the truth always prevails. And I think when I look at Peter and John, I get kind of fired up when I look at their example here, because I think that's exactly what was going on in their minds. This was the type of thing they were really feeling the pressure here. They were being threatened by their opposition. The scripture directly says that. It wasn't like these leaders were just looking at this casually. They were threatening them. It doesn't record all the things that they threatened them with, so I don't know all the details that they threatened with, but I'm sure that they brought out as much ammo as they possibly could. And they threatened them in a variety of ways. And you had the religious leaders here in Jerusalem wanting the apostles to listen to their will instead of the will of God. But Peter and John demonstrated the depth of their allegiance to Christ. And they did so when they said what it says right here, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. And what they were saying as they did this, they were saying they had no, they had no intention to accept counsel from anyone who tried to persuade them to disobey God's leading, meaning they were not afraid of the no that they were receiving from these religious leaders because God had already made his yes abundantly clear to them. And I find that inspiring. And I just want to, if I could give you a pep talk, if you ever find yourself in a context like that, again, whatever form of leadership the Lord opens up the door for you to walk through, don't fear the no that you might receive from those who either do not understand your calling or do not share your faith in Jesus Christ. Don't fear the no. The no will come. It's going to come. Someone's going to tell you no. Someone's going to try and, and, um, and contain or box in what God's trying to do in your life. Don't accept counsel that conflicts with God's will. Press forward. Take bold action. Maybe even give yourself a sneaky little smile in the mirror in the evening when you're brushing your teeth before bed because you know that you've pressed on in the midst of a challenge. And then sleep soundly knowing that you spent today obeying the will of God. And there's one other thing that I think is fascinating when you look at the aftermath of this entire event in Acts chapter 4. And it's great counsel to us, and this is where I want to finish today that we would learn to pray for power and opportunity to do what God has called us to do. Pray for power, pray for opportunity to do what God's called you to do. When you jump ahead to verses 29 and 30, it shows us here what happened in the aftermath. You have, you have the disciples gathering together with some of their friends. 
And after these leaders had, had threatened them, and after these leaders had done what they had done, and, the, and, and Peter and John were permitted to leave, they took the opportunity to meet together with their friends, they gave them the recap, they let them know what had happened, and then they prayed for the Lord to empower them with even more boldness if additional threats eventually came. And by the way, we know the story, right? Eventually, more threats did come including threats against their lives, right? But it says in verses 29 and 30, it it shows us their prayer. And they prayed to the Lord. They said, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus so they didn't look at this and say, all right, that was sufficient. We had a good moment. Let's, let's fold up shop. They look at this and they say, all right, Lord, continue to, continue to open up doors like this. And when those doors open up, make us extra bold, right? Make us extra bold. It's kind of like I, I remember a, a friend of mine in college. We were eating Cool Ranch Doritos one evening. I don't know if you guys are fans of Doritos. And right now you're saying to yourself, especially those of you that are new for the first time, saying, how is this man about to tie a reference to Doritos into this deeply spiritual passage? A friend of ours, we were eating Cool Ranch Doritos, and he looked at the bag and he said, you know what, these are good, but they could be cooler. That was his assessment. These could be cooler, and I kid you not, Within just maybe eight weeks of that, Doritos changed the packaging on that, and it started to say, Cooler Ranch Doritos. This happened in the mid-90s. You could check for historical accuracy. This absolutely happened. And we're like, look, Elliot, they, they took your counsel. They took your advice. They're now called Cooler Ranch Doritos as they're emphasizing this additional flavor that's been added to this. And I look at this, and this is like a Cooler Ranch Doritos moment for me. When I see, you know, Peter and John, they're saying, yeah, we were bold, but I bet you we could be bolder. We were cool, but I bet you we could be cooler. And so they, they, they decide as they gather together with their friends, they're like, let's just pray that God makes us even bolder. More flavor, more boldness, more boldness, because more is going to come. And so I just want to ask as we're finishing up, Are we praying for the power of Jesus Christ and the opportunity to serve him just like these men were doing? You know, the opportunity to serve Jesus Christ is granted in nearly every vocation and every location, right? It could be demonstrated in every industry. It could be demonstrated in every community. And there are going to be people who respond with favor to it, but there are also going to be people who respond with disdain, but that's just the way it is. That's what life is like in this world. That's what these apostles experience. That's what we will experience as well. But let me say this as we finish up. And I hope that this will inspire you and encourage you because it's something I think we can apply from this portion of Scripture to our day-to-day lives. Instead of being afraid to be told no from people who don't share our faith or don't share our convictions, let's be afraid of spending our entire lives living in mediocrity and just being consumed with inaction because we'd rather pacify our opposition than shake things up in a Christ-honoring manner. I think sometimes we need to shake things up in a Christ-honoring manner. And I don't think it's healthy, and I don't think it's good for us to go through our lives afraid of being told no from those who don't share our faith and don't share our convictions. 
So these men were bold, but they prayed to be bolder. And I think that if, if we're bold with a holy boldness, not full of ourselves, but full of the Spirit of God, I think that it's a joyful thing to say, all right, Lord, I've seen what you've done in my life thus far, and now that I've gotten a taste of it, I can't wait to see what you do next. And that's what these men were experiencing. I think we have the privilege to experience that as well, as we make a habit of just simply saying yes to Jesus Christ and everything he desires to do in us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word and for the privilege that it is to be able to look at a portion of scripture like this and to recognize that sometimes when we hear that no, we need to really assess where that no is coming from. Sometimes in life, there are those that try to contain or box in or prevent the work that you're trying to do simply because they don't understand it or don't share the convictions that you've placed upon our hearts. But Lord, we want to be people who are obedient to the leading of your spirit. We want to be people who are focused on who you are and what you do. And Lord, it's exciting to be able to look at a circumstance like this and to see these men and realize that they did not back down in the midst of some pretty weighty threats. And these were people that had a lot of authority in that culture. But Lord, your power is greater than any earthly power, and your influence is greater than any earthly influence. So if we ever find ourselves in a situation like Peter and John were in, or if we find ourselves in a situation that's even remotely similar, we pray that we would put you first. We pray that we would honor your name. We pray that we would be people who are more concerned with saying yes to you than we are concerned with the kind of no that we might receive from those who really make a habit of treating you like you're an afterthought. Lord, we pray that you'd be first in our hearts and first in our minds in all contexts. And we pray that you would teach us to be people who discern your will, who look at what your word says and who pursue things that you've placed upon our hearts as you shape our desires. So Lord, thank you for shaping our desires and bringing them in line with your will. And we pray that in every context, every location, every vocation, that we represent, we pray that we would be your ambassadors who say yes to you and bring glory to your name. We pray that you'd make us bold like the men in this passage happen to be bold. And we thank you, Lord, for all of these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, everybody, I'm Dale. And I'm Tamara. We're hosts of the Kainos Project podcast. Where we help you tackle ancient Christian truths in everyday settings. To learn more and subscribe, go to lifeaudio.com.